Well, we've all heard the expression, if it sounds too good to be true, it probably is. And I think the opposite is actually true with the Lord. With the Lord, we might say, if God calls you to something uh, by faith, it will be, or it certainly can be, better than it sounds. But that's not always going to be how we see it, certainly not going to be how we always initially see it, as often God calls us to something that we're just really not sure what to expect. Or we kind of have a vision for the way it's going to turn out, and then it doesn't turn out that way, and we're kind of lost, kind of wondering what is in fact uh, going on. The Lord's calls are interesting. They're generally not particularly detailed, and yet his promises can be very big. Uh, sometimes they seem unbelievable. If you get a promise from God and you're thinking, me? It's probably you. If you get a promise from God, you're like, well, of course it's me. It's probably not you. <laughs> and a lot of times we think this is completely impossible. So we've titled today's message, Following God's Amazing Call to the Impossible. Following God's Amazing Call to the Impossible. Last week, we began a series that we entitled Venturing into the Unknown, looking at a man by the name of Abram. He will, his name will be changed to Abraham. Uh, and he was raised a pagan. He was not raised in the faith. So a lot of times people say, oh, well, you know, God can't do anything with me. I wasn't, I wasn't raised in this stuff. When I meet people on outreaches and they'll say, well, you, did you have any kind of religious upbringing? And they go, no. I go, oh, how good for you, man. You don't have all this crazy religious stuff that you have to, that you have to deal with. And Abraham or Abram, I, you know, he becomes Abraham, so I call him Abraham a lot. So Abram lived in a very dark time. We talked about that last week after the time of the Tower of Babel when the people had just totally rebelled against God. They all got together and said, let's rebel against him. And yet, by the grace of God, God decides that he wants to start everything all over. So the Lord chooses Abram and his family to be the vehicle of his blessing to the world. And yet, Sarai or who becomes Sarah, his wife, we were told last week is barren, meaning she could have no kids. And last week we discussed some of the pain associated with that. And we often talk about, it tells us in the Bible that the Lord chooses. And the Lord does choose people for certain things. And yet at the same time, he also calls us to follow him. And a lot of times that following of God is out of the comfort zone into the uncomfortable zone for something that's actually much better, but it might not always seem that way. Sometimes it doesn't even always seem that way in this life. Now, before you tune me out, I want to just remind us all or tell you all of something. The calling of just one person to follow God can make an incredible difference in the world. Just one person. Remember we talked a couple weeks ago, just having one person in your life who told you about Jesus, the difference it made in your life, the faithfulness of one person to do what God asks of them to do, as uncomfortable as it may be at the time, can have tremendous, tremendous effects. And in the weeks to come, we're going to see that God does this through a man whose life is marked by tremendous faith and, everybody pay attention, tremendous failure. You see, you don't have to have everything right all the time. I'm not saying we go out and try and be complete failures and complete losers, but you don't have to have it right all of the time to be used by God and that was the same thing was true for Abraham, will be true for us. So let's go back in time over 4,000 years ago. And uh, we'll look at, if you're taking notes, number one, the call given. The call given. It says, now the Lord had said to Abram. Now the Lord had said to Abram. Notice God takes the initiative. He's not, he's not waiting. 
God's not waiting for us to kind of go like, oh, yeah, maybe I'll go do this. God takes the initiative. When God calls you to faith and trust in him, he's the one who takes the initiative. That's why a lot of people will sometimes say, like, I went to church my whole life, and then all of a sudden it was like, you know, the blinders were taken off. I, f- I finally heard something. And so God takes the initiative, and he says to him, get out of your country, more literally leave, go now, from your family. And the family structure in, in, the, in the Middle East even now, but back then, was just huge. And from your father's house to a land, and land was very, very important to them, that I will show you. So leave your family and leave your land. And, and this is the beginning of a complete new beginning of history, really, and, and a new beginning for Abraham and his family. And with the Lord's new beginnings, we will often be faced with some hard decisions. We're often going to be faced with some difficult challenges, and often those challenges and difficulties include a test of our faith. A lot of times we say that we have faith and then our faith is tested and it's only tested not because God wants to see how we do on the test. He knows how we're going to do on the test. He wants to show us how we're going to do uh, on the test. And so the Lord's call to Abraham is essentially to reestablish after everything that happened in Genesis chapter 1 through 11. It's essentially to reestablish the kingdom of God on earth and that is the mission he gave the church too. The church is supposed to establish the mission of God uh, on earth and to tell people about Jesus Christ. And, and for Abraham, he calls him, and he's not going to call all of us exactly the same way, but he calls him to make a complete break from his past and to actually leave his family. Now, last week, we, we did encounter that in, in the book of Acts, which was a couple thousand years later. Stephen told us that, that God had told Abraham this much earlier than it's recorded here. The, you know, the Bible guys are not as concerned with time as we are. They're more concerned with topics and, and, and what's, what's going on. And last week, we saw that Abraham's father, Terah, uh, he had the call to go to Mesopotamia or Earl the Chaldeans and and so he, to leave Ur of the Chaldeans and to go to the land of Canaan, but he faltered. He left Ur, but he couldn't get out of Haran. They stopped in Haran, which was another pagan city. So he left Ur, which was pagan, and he went to Haran, which was pagan. And, and he couldn't get out of there probably because the temptations were too strong for him, or he was just out of gas. You know what it means to feel like you're out of gas? And, and he died there. And that's a sad story of a lot of people is they just don't finish following God's call. Or they just give up too early, or as you know, we like to say, it's always too soon to quit. And so they, so they give up on the call. It's very sad. And this call is, is similar to the call of the apostles we see in the New Testament, very similar to a call that I know a lot of you have experienced in your life. I know I have. It, it was completely unexpected. And it was radical. So much so, you, you have to say to yourself, either I'm going nuts or this is really from God. <laughs> because no rational person would think this way. And sometimes it's a call to break with the past. Sometimes it's a call to leave the bad influences in our lives. And sometimes those things, not always, but sometimes those things are needed in order to hear and follow the call of God. Jesus said something amazingly radical in his day for his culture, Matthew 10, 37. He said, he who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me, and he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Now, he's not saying you have to hate your mother or your father. He's not saying that you hate your son or your daughter. He's just saying that this is the call of the kingdom. That when God calls you to his kingdom, when Jesus calls you to his kingdom, he's going to call you to an allegiance to him that is higher than an allegiance to others. But this is the thing about that allegiance. If your allegiance is to Jesus first, you'll be able to love others better. If your allegiance is to yourself first, 
that's going to be tough for you to love others better because it's going to always be about you. So just imagine you're Abraham. So you're just kind of hanging out one day, and God tells you. We said last week he was a city guy, but he was also uh, raised animals, so he probably lived right outside the city. He's a big business guy, and, and so maybe you're one day out just checking out how the flocks are doing, talking with the, the people that work for you. How's it going? How's this going? What's going on with that? And, and all of a sudden, God shows up, and he says, hey, you know this great business deal you got going here with your family and the land and all this kind of stuff? I want you to get out. I want you to leave. How are you going to go home and tell your wife? I mean, just think about that. God says, hey, babe, you got a second? You want dessert, honey? Nope, no dessert tonight. You want to talk to you about something serious. Uh, God told me that we're supposed to leave our family and uh, our security here, and we're supposed to follow him. Okay, honey, sure, sure. Where? I don't really know. I don't really know. So you get everybody ready, your, all, your, all your flocks and your, your family and, your, and the people who work for you, and there you go, we're going to a new place. We're moving the business. You know, you hear a lot of businesses, particularly California, a lot of businesses are leaving California and moving to other, other states. And you say, you're going um, to move. And of course, if you're like, you know, a lot of you know, dads or uncles or something like that, you... You have some young teenage kid sit in the seat next to you, and you go, okay. And he says, okay, pull up the directions on the GPS. You know, I, I had to reset, since we moved, I had to reset my home on my, on my GPS. So, you know, you gotta re he's got to reset his home on his GPS now. So, um, so the kid says, all right, Uncle Abraham, uh, what's, uh, what's home to the land that I will show you? <laughs> it's like... Doesn't work. Doesn't happen. There's no, no way. No way for this. And it's crazy. I get it. I get it. It's it's crazy leaving your what's tangible. Leaving what you can touch, what you're used to, and and depend upon God's provision for where you're going to. But that's a large part of faith is depending upon God for, for what is unknown that you know that he has called you to pursue. You see, faith is often trading the known for the unknown. How many of you like the known? How many of you like the known and comfortable? Raise your hand. Really? Come on, be a little more honest. You're known and comfortable. Okay. My poor wife raised her hand, and she married me to pray for that woman. <laughs> she's always like, every year, she's like, so what's the harebrained scheme for this year? <laughs> so if you don't know me, I'm a serial entrepreneur as well as a pastor. So you see, and you say, well, how can someone trade the known for the unknown relatively easy without totally losing your mind. I think it comes down to this. You have to know and trust the God of the unknown that he knows. And some of you are in situations in your life right now where you just don't know what's next. You just don't know. And, and the, really the, the way to sanity is to trust the God of the unknown, who does, in fact, know. Now, verse 2 and 3, we're still in the call here. He makes seven promises. I'll, I'm going to read it through, and then we'll go back over it. He says, I, I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who curses you, and in all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Now, I'm going to take it seven. Some people might quantify them differently, but let's go slowly. He says, I will. Notice God says, not you, you got to make this happen. He says, this is what I'm going to do for you. If you follow what I say, this is what I'm going to do for you. I will make you a great nation. Now, what does that mean? I'm sure he has no idea. 
Remember we said last week, he's like, I got no kids. Well, I, I, what, what do you mean? I will bless you and will make your name great. So that's one, two, three. I will make you a great nation. Two, I will bless you. Three, I will make your name great. And four, and you shall be a blessing. You know, the, the calls of God do not just call us to be blessed by him, but they call us to be a blessing to others. And so whenever we're thinking of doing something, we always have to say to ourselves, is, is part of this call going to make me a blessing to others? And if not, we really want to maybe search a little bit more deeply. Verse 3, the fifth thing, I will bless those who bless you. Verse, uh, number 6, and I will curse him who curses you. What does that mean? There's going to be opposition. Oh, no, no, no. God's way is going to be easy all the time. There's a reason they call them martyrs. <laughs> no, there's going to be opposition. And number seven, and in you, all the family, some versions say peoples of the earth shall be blessed. I believe that's a reference to actually Jesus who will come thousands of years later. So these are great promises. Stupendous promises, but let's be honest, every one of them seems impossible. I mean, if you really look at every one of them, where this man is right now, every one of them seems impossible, and, and trusting God for them will require great faith. Think about it. He's called to leave his past for a future that he thought would be one way, but now is going to be a different way, and he's going to have to put his trust in God to do it. And I know this to some of you might seem very simplistic, but when it's you, it's not as simple as it sounds. The best place to serve God is where he wants you. That's the absolute best place to serve God. Notice what we don't get from Abram. We don't get, God, are you kidding me? I mean, you're kidding. You got the wrong guy. <laughs> I'm a pagan from Ur of the Chaldeans. <laughs> I'm not one of these hyper-spiritual types, God. God's like, yeah, I know. That's why I picked you. <laughs> I'm not that. He doesn't say, uh, you know, we learned last week that his wife and him didn't have any kids. He doesn't go, this is all impossible because I don't have a family. I can't, how, can, how can all of this multiply if I have nothing? We'll see in verse 4 that he's 75 years old. Now, for sure, Abram is a guy who could build a big business. But kids, they don't, they don't grow on trees, right? They don't, they don't grow on trees. The stork brings them. If you're a kid and you don't know where they come from, ask your parents on the ride home. But, but Abraham is learning something that we all have to learn. We can't venture forth in faith, and every one of us in this room right now, every, every follower of Jesus worldwide is really in a position where the next step is a step of faith because the future is so unknown. You can't venture in faith without trusting the Lord. And sometimes he just says, well, you know, I, you don't, it doesn't seem like it's something you want to learn, or maybe I need to stir up the pot a little in your life. So I'm just going to put some circumstances in your life to teach you how to trust me. Not because I'm mean, but because I want you to grow into a deeper relationship with me. See, the funny thing about God is a lot of his promises are quite big. They're quite big. And God's big promises generally also come with big demands on our faith. Demands that call us to let go of certain things. Particularly to let go of certain earthly things which we hold on to very tightly and then to hold on to those things are, that are eternal. 
I'll give you a silly example. I, when we decided to sell, I had a business with three units and uh, sold two of them to go into the ministry and the other unit was pretty small. And, and I said to the Lord, I, one of the things that I loved to do was to be able to, to financially give to, to things. And, and financially, the way things look right now, that may not be quite as much a possibility. So I put a couple guys in charge of one part of the business, and, and they grew it into a big thing. <laughs> and, so, and so God tested my faith, I guess, but, but I, he didn't take that from me, but... That was not an earthly thing I was holding on to. That was an eternal thing. See, we make a lot about being faithful in the little things, don't we? And it's, I think, in many ways, easier to be faithful in the little things. It's what about when God asks us to be faithful in the big things? You say, well, what big things? I, I wonder sometimes, do we even expect big things from God? In your life, do you, do you expect big things from God? Maybe, maybe there's someone you've been praying for for years or you did for a while that they would come to faith and it didn't happen fast enough for you. Maybe you should start again and, and resume and, and, or someone to come back to Christ and, and just, just say, Lord, I, this is a big thing and I'm, I'm not giving up. I'm not, I'm not giving up on this one. What about our church? Do we, do we expect God thing, to do big things in our church? Now, I know a lot of us, we just sit here and we go, well, that big, big, more big thing, God does big things, that brings big problems. You know? And, and, but this is not our kingdom. This is God's kingdom. And we're like, we like it now. We're friends. We're the, we pay the rent. The temperature's perfect. You know? <laughs> we, can, we can do what we kind of want to do. That's great. But but what about those who have yet to hear? What about those that, that are waiting to hear the good news of Jesus? I mean, have we given up on personal growth? I mean, I hope you don't want your faith. I, don't hope, I hope you don't want this to be it. I, I, I certainly never want to peak in my faith. I don't want to be constantly looking back going, oh, can I, can I go back to the old days? I want to be, you know, growing, and I want to be looking forward to growing in the future. I, I hope we haven't given up on faithful service. I hope we haven't given up on other people, praying for them, talking with them about God, as the, not for, forcing it down their throat, but as the opportunities come. I hope we haven't given up on inviting people to either to church or watching something online and saying, hey, can we just discuss this so you know a little bit where I'm coming from and, and you can, and, you know, I can hear where you're coming from and we can hear where Jesus is coming from. Are we giving up just because things are hard? Haven't you noticed that most things in life that are really, really worthwhile are really, really hard. None of it's easy. So now we have this thing where everybody's kind of sitting far apart. And some of you have said to me, this must be a hard thing for you to watch after you know, years of watching you know, multiple services and lots of people and stuff like that. 15 years ago when we started this church, when we moved up here and we didn't know anybody, I'd have killed for this many people in the room. <laughs> I would have killed for it. <laughs> but I can remember nights when there, were, there was this like you know, four of us in there. <laughs> I remember one night there were six of us there and five of us, five of us had my last name. Right? <laughs> I'm like saying to my kids, you better come forward and repent. <laughs> Yeah, things are hard. Okay, so what? You see, the, the purpose of, of, of God's calling is, is to bless, and again, to be a blessing. 
to be a blessing to people. So often we've been brainwashed in American Christianity that it's all about us and us being blessed. But we are to bless other people. Yet, as we said, the word curse tells you that there will be opposition. You should expect the opposition. All of this stuff we see on television, this opposition to faith, we, we should expect it. And, and even some of the stuff that I see on television that, that says it's faith. You know, if you give this much money, you, you'll, there'll be a brand new Mercedes in your parking lot tomorrow. <laughs> like, I object to that. Or I'll look out the window and go, look, some drunk guy parked in our, in our driveway last night. Or, oh, undercover cops are here. I object to it a lot, but there, it, there should be opposition. But we are blessed to be a blessing. And honestly, to me, this whole thing of God saying, I'm going to bless the world through you, Abraham, to me, it, it blows my mind. Why in the world would God bless a world that so consistently rejects him. Why would he do that? Why does he, and we saw it in chapters 1 through 11, we see it now, why does God consistently promise blessing to a world that mocks him? Why in the world would Jesus Christ come and die on a cross for a world that consistently sins against God. Let's get a little closer to home. Why in the world, and I'm talking about me now, why in the world would God call an idolater like Abraham to follow him and to bless people through him. I have, I have no idea, but it certainly explains why God calls us. It certainly explains why God calls you and why God calls me. It certainly demonstrates the grace of God. We said last week, if, if we think we know why God has showered his grace upon us, then we probably know very, very little about the grace of God. And we're probably not very self-aware. I've been a follower of Jesus since 1988. I still don't understand why he decided to call me and show me his grace and mercy and forgiveness. I still don't get it. Doesn't mean I don't cherish it. It doesn't mean I don't love it. It doesn't mean I don't love him. But honestly, it makes no sense. Because I know the way I used to live all the time and loved violating what he said. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 27 says this, But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put the shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to put the shame the things which are mighty. So I read that, and I look at that, and I say, well, God, you chose me because I'm one of the foolish things of the world. And you chose me because I'm one of the weak things of the world. So let me ask you, friend, does that insult you? Or does that amaze you? For me, that blows my mind. It absolutely amazes me. I met so many people after the Lord just flipped my life right side up. And they were like, you? <laughs> like, that's a case for God. So that takes us to number two. God calls, but what do we do with that call? The call answered, verse 4, Abraham takes a step forward. So Abraham departed. <laughs> the Bible is just so matter-of-factly. 
All the, pre- all the preparations it takes. Again, we just moved. We're like, we moved. Everybody's like, oh, great, you moved. All it took. This guy had, didn't have all the conveniences that we have. So, so simple and understated. He, he departed. He left. That's how he answered the call. He did what God said. As the Lord had spoken to him, he did just what the Lord had said to do. Simple obedience to what God said. And Lot with him, Lot will come across later on. And Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. Now, what we're about to encounter, in addition to being how casual the Bible is about him leaving, um, so he's leaving Haran, he's going to Canaan, it's about 400 miles. <laughs> and he's going with goats and with sheep and with hundreds of people. Now, how many of you have gone on a 400-mile trip with a couple little kids in the back seat? <laughs> and you wanted to kill them. <laughs> we just always say about our kids, how do they know we're always a half hour from the destination? <laughs> and they would turn from our little angels into demons. Verse 5, then Abraham, Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions they had gathered, and the people whom they had acquired in Haran, and they departed to go to the land of Canaan. So they came to the land of Canaan. That's the land from verse 1 to a land that I will show you. So there's a couple things we need to know here. We need to know that they came to Canaan. In verse 6, he's going to tell us that the Canaanites live in the land. That would make sense. Tremendous idolaters. And we just learned that Abraham's age is 75. So let's not gloss over the self-sacrifice of Abram giving up all he had for what God promised could be. A bunch of blessings. Nothing really tangible. I mean, imagine the whole way his wife's like, Abe, you got any more details? (laughs) I was mentored by Jewish businessmen. I love them. Raised Irish Catholic, but they took me into their fold. Great, great friends. And, and so, you know, any more details? No, just all this blessing stuff. In the same way we don't gloss over the self-sacrifice of Abraham, we don't gloss over the fact, we should never gloss over the fact, as people casually say, that Jesus died on the cross for our sins. He died on the cross for our sins for what you and I are now, but what you and I can be and what you and I will become. So we said before, he was a businessman. He lived before, he lived in Ur and Haran, two tremendous centers of commerce to Canaan. Not so much a center of commerce. Kind of like the the backwoods or the mountains. And this is a soul-searching question we probably all need to ask ourselves. Do the details of God's call or the details of the journey to where God wants us to be, do they have to be to our liking for us to be faithful to answer the call? I mean, over the years, and, you know, it's, I'm not, I don't think it's anybody here. Hopefully they're not at another place in the building. I've, I've had guys say to me, like, you know, I, I watch those guys in the, parking lot, man, I think, man, the camaraderie I see among the guys, I'd love to be out there serving with them. That sounds great. And I'm like, yeah, that sounds great, man. They're like, but I'm thinking February, Pastor Jim, man, that sounds cold. (laughs) And I'm like, oh, 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 you only want to serve in the fall and the spring. Or or is there a temperature range we could kind of get you into? You know, that's the way we are a lot of times, Lord. What are the conditions? Verse 6 and 7, Abram passed through the land to the place of Shechem as far as the terebinth tree of Morah. Bible scholars tell us that for a thousand years previously, and all the way up to that time, there had been a pagan shrine uh, there, and the Canaanites were in the land. Verse 7, then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, to your descendants, that the word descendants literally means seed, to your children. Now, Abram's 75 
and he has no children. You picture him just kind of going like this. Excuse me, God, excuse me. Just a little point, little little thing I want to raise. To your descendants, literally your seed, I will give this land. So what does Abraham say? Are you kidding me, man? No, look at the response. And there he built an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. This is a very interesting thing. We're going to see Abram's going to go through the land building these altars to the Lord. And remember, he's in a, in a pagan country. So he's got this large group with him. You're like, here they come. We heard about them. Here they come. They come traipsing along, and they come to a, a well-known shrine. And, and somebody says, so what do we do here, Abram? And he goes out, get some stuff, and over there, build an altar. Build an altar. And it's sort of like, you know, maybe in our day, somebody gets some, there's some religious statue in a town, and, and some guy comes into town and, or on the street. Somebody has maybe something on their front lawn or something like that, and he's just building an altar on his front lawn or building an altar in town. And just picture the neighbors out in the street. So what do you think of the new guy, man? Is, <laughs> what are we going to do with this guy? Not to mention when, he said, when it says the Canaanites were in the land, it, it, it lands, it, it adds to the impossibility of it all. Why? They don't want to hear about Yahweh. They don't want to hear about God. They, they got their thing going. Don't, don't interrupt our thing. Don't interrupt my life. And if you're here today and you're not a follower of Jesus, let me tell you something. I get it. <laughs> Jesus is a major interruption to your life. He is. And once again, the promise is made to your descendants. Again, he has none. He's against all odds. Now, if you're, if you're new to the Bible, I'm excited for you. It's not unusual that God will often put people, especially his own people, into impossible situations so we know when it comes to pass, he did it. Other than that, we could say, well, we did this, and we did that, and we did this, and we did that. And, and um, so, so we talked earlier about, you know, coming to a place where we didn't know anybody, and then a couple people come to a Bible study, and then we end up having a church. People say, well, how did you do it? I go, I didn't do anything. <laughs> I watched. I prayed, and that was it. I didn't really do much of anything. N notice I, I, I said that God often puts us in impossible situations. It's not always, but nor should we really be that surprised when we are put into that place. Why? Well, God's call to each one of us is very personal. It's, it's different to each one of us because he's wired us differently. He's, he's put us in different places. He's given us different gifts. Uh, it's very, very different. You know, not everybody's called to go out into other parts of the world, and, and not everybody's called to do what I do. Not everybody's called to, to doing all different kinds of stuff that you can do. You know, some of you are great cooks, and so when somebody is sick or has a baby or something like that, you cook a meal and bring it to them. That, that's a good thing. That, that is a calling. That is using a gift that God has given you. Now, if I cook a meal and bring it to them, <laughs> it's a good thing I know how to do funerals <laughs> because I can eat but I can't cook anything. Remember, I make toast in the microwave. <laughs> okay, so we all have different, different gifts. So our, God's call on our lives is very personal because our faith must be very personal. Now, the path to God, we say this many times, the path to God is through Jesus Jesus claimed there's only one way, and he said, watch me do miracles, watch me be raised from the dead, and I'm going to prove it to you. 
There's only one way to God through Jesus. That is the Christian faith. Now you say, well, other faiths are not like that. Almost all of them are. They just don't like to admit it, that they'll admit that they're the only way. And they're so inconsistent, it would seem logical, actually, that they would make those claims. So there's only one way to God through Jesus, but there are many ways to Jesus. Why? Because the path of each one of our lives is very, very different. Very, very different. Verse 6, he says he went to the place called Shechem. That's known as the place of decision. And that's a place that God is going to bring us all to at various points in our life. Don't be surprised when this sentence is popping out of your mouth. I just don't know what to do. That is going to be something that is common to all of us. We often get into those things. My wife always says to me, what are you going to do? And I go, I don't know. She's like, but you always know what to do. I go, not now. I don't know what to do. And so that's going to be common to all of us. But see, here's the thing. When the future is unknown, like it is for this man, will we worship God? Will we keep that as a constant in our lives to keep us on some sort of a, of a level playing field, some sense of normality, some sense of confidence in God that he's got us? You see, it's easy for some people to say how great things are going with them and God when things are going well. But that's not the kind of love that Jesus had for us, and that's not the kind of love that he wants for us. How many of you in, in this room have, have been married more than 10 years? Raise your hand. Okay, look around there. Your love has been tested in many ways, hasn't it? Hasn't it? It's been tested in many, many ways. If not, one of you is clueless. Yes, your love is tested. And that's what Jesus does. He, he tests and refines and grows our love for him. Verse 8 and 9, they're still touring the land. And he moved from there to the mountain east of Bethel, and he pitched his tent. So is he living a life of luxury now? No, he's living out of a tent and, and, and moving it all along. It's not like he's got this big tent set up and this is one place. With Bethel on the west and Ai on the east, there he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. Notice he has no idea where he's going, no idea what he's doing. And as he worships, his relationship with the Lord is growing and growing and growing. And so everywhere he goes, everywhere God sends him, he is a worshiper. You see, when we don't follow what God wants for us, when we don't obey God, it's hard to worship. It's very hard to worship. Verse 9, so Abram journeyed, going on still toward the south. So what seems to be happening right now is Abraham is symbolically reclaiming the land for the kingdom of heaven, for the kingdom of God, same thing, a land where the Lord is to be worshipped. You know, some people do this, and I'm, I'm, it's okay, I do it too. Some people do this to their homes and their apartments and their businesses. They just walk in. Or they stand outside the building, and they go like, I claim this for the Lord. I claim this for the Lord. This belongs to him. It's almost like they, they put the stake in the ground, or they draw the line in the sand, and say, you other guy, you stay out of here. Because if you come past this line, you mess with my God. You see, for the kingdom of God, Abraham, what he's doing right now, this is really just the first step of the new reality, all the earth through the Lord Jesus is the ultimate goal. That's why Abraham is so very important. He is the start of God's mission for the world. Interesting what's going on right now. 2,000 years later, the apostle Paul, after Jesus has died, rose, and ascended into heaven, 
calls this, what, we're, what we just read right now, calls this the gospel. He writes this, Galatians chapter 3, verses 6 through 9, just as Abraham believed God, not believed in, believed. There's a big difference. A lot of people say, oh, I believe in God. But do you believe God? Do you believe what he says? Just as Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness, that's how you get to heaven. You believe what God says, that you and I are sinners because we have violated God's law and he has sent his son, Jesus, to live a perfect life in our place, to die a sinner's death in our place, and to prove that it was satisfactory payment for our sins. God raised him from the dead, ascended him to heaven, and now he is seated at the right hand of God. So, so when you put your trust in Jesus, you are accounted with his righteousness. And we say it goes like this. Jesus takes your sin and you get his righteousness. Therefore, know that only those who are of faith are sons of Abraham. And the scripture foreseeing, the scripture is personalized, and the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles, non-Jews, by faith. Look at this. Preached the gospel to Abraham beforehand, saying, In you all the nations shall be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed with believing Abraham. So this was a promise of a faith-filled people to come, people committed to the word of God and to the ways of God. Same chapter, chapter Galatians 3, up to verse 16 through 18. Now Abraham and his seed, remember he didn't have any, Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He, God, does not say to seeds as of many, but as of one, and to your seed who is Christ. So thousands of years earlier, he is promising Abraham that the Messiah will come through your family line. All the way down through the history, I'm going to make sure it happens, whether they're godly people or they're not. I'm going to make sure it happens. Verse 17, And this I say, that the law that came through Moses, which was 430 years later, cannot annul the covenant that was confirmed before by God in Christ, that it should make the promise of no effect. This is a whole sermon. I will not give it to you. What he is saying simply here is, the gospel of grace through your seed, Abraham, the Lord Jesus Christ, that, that he will be the blessing to the world, was before the law of Moses. And the gospel of grace is not nullified by the law of Moses. God is telling his people how he wants them to live. Always important to remember that the gospel of grace came before 400 years before the law of Moses. Verse 18, for if the inheritance is of the law, if you get heaven by the obeying God, if you get heaven by being a good person, it is no longer of promise. Then, then everything that happened with Jesus doesn't make a difference, but, but because it does, but God gave it to Abraham by promise. So that's more important Abraham, the Apostle Paul is clear here. God initiated the great promise to save and bless the world. But Abraham and all of us, if we want to inherit the promise of heaven, must put our trust in the Lord. It says, Abraham believed God. That is, we always say more similar to our word trust, because we can believe a lot of different things in our head. But trusting God is something totally different. In other words, the promises made to Abraham already had the coming of Jesus in view. And yet, on another way, Abraham here is a picture of Jesus to come. We said last week that both left their comfortable lives for the uncomfortable. Jesus left heaven to come to earth. Abraham left the known for the unknown. Both made incredible sacrifices. Of course, Jesus is far more to be a blessing to other people. 
In the Old Testament, it says in Psalm 2, for Jesus it was to inherit the nations. In Philippians chapter 2 in the New Testament, it says, so that every knee would bow to Jesus Christ. And the scripture teaches, as, as God said to Abraham, those that reject Jesus will be cursed. In effect, those that reject Jesus will not have the forgiveness of sins and will not have eternal life for the simple reason that they don't want it. If you don't know the reality of Jesus, his true identity, the Apostle John helps us in his gospel. Jesus is spoken of in John's gospel, chapter 1, is the Word, and it says this, John 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. God became a man in the person of Jesus Christ. John 1.14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. That word dwelt can be translated tabernacled or pitched his tent. And John says, we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. That famous verse that they hang up at the football games, John 3.16, I'm going to read for you from a version I don't really read from too often to you guys, the Amplified Bible. Uh, if I don't read it too often, it means I have issues with it, so... But it says this, John 3, 16, For God so greatly loved and dearly prized the world that he even gave his one and only begotten son, that was his seed, so that whoever, whoever believes and trusts in him, parentheses, as Savior, shall not perish but have eternal life. That means that the forgiveness of sins and eternal life in heaven is the result of your response to the seed of Abraham, the Lord Jesus. If you are not yet a follower of Jesus Christ, whether you're here with us, you're in another location, you're just watching on the internet, today God calls you to receive the promises of God but you may have to leave certain things behind. But no matter what, you're going to have to turn to God and put your trust in Jesus. And you can do that today right in your own seat. If you are a follower of Jesus like Abraham, the Lord wants us to claim and proclaim the earth as his to people who need to hear. I guess the question in that comes down to this. Not do we believe in God, but do we believe God? Do we believe that by a simple call of faith, a simple call of people to believe, that the entirety of people's eternal destiny can be changed? Now, some of you right now are sitting there going, but I have failed so many times. Well, next week, we will see that God even uses and blesses his people when their faith is overwhelmed by their circumstances. And I know that's something all of us can relate to. Read ahead, and please join us next week. Well, let's stand and pray.